We're going to continue to talk about uh, how God works regeneration. So we're continuing to look at the third and fourth head of doctrine in the Canons of Dort. Um, so that's on page 272 of the Forms and Prayers book, but I neglected to look at the hymnal, so I can't help you. Um, but we're Article 7 in the third and fourth head of doctrine. And we're talking about how God works regeneration. Um, how God brings to life those who are spiritually dead. Um, remember we talked last time, you're not just a little bit dead, not mostly dead, you're all dead. Um, you, can't, you have to be brought to newness of life by the Spirit. Um, that we do have the light of nature in us, that's not enough to bring us to life. The law we have, that's not enough to bring us to life because the law can only declare things, it can't actually empower us to live. Um, so, we're actually, so we need to be made alive by the gospel. That's what we read in verse 6. The Spirit working through the gospel, through the ministry of reconciliation, is what makes us alive. And so really the rest of th- heads of, of doctrine 3 and 4 are going to be explaining to us how God does that work, um, clarifying for us how, that, how God does that work and being um, helpful to us to know how God works. Why does he work regeneration? How does he work regeneration? Um, because this is something very important for us to understand. How God works the gospel um, to those he has elected to produce salvation in them. Okay, so the rest of the Kansador will be about how God works regeneration. Um, and so Article 7 says that God works regeneration sovereignly to whom he will. Uh, that, that's the bottom line of Article 7. God works, who does he use the saving power of the gospel to make alive? Sovereignly to whom he will. Um, Articles 8 and 9 talk about the way that God does that, through a sincere call to believe. That's really what Articles 8 and 9 deal with. He works regeneration through a sincere call to believe. And then Article 10 reflects on the fact that he does that as a gift to those who are elect. Um, that God works as a gift to those who are elect. So we'll, we'll keep saying that as we go through. But I just wanted to make the point that the Canons of Dort, as we said, open with common Christian convictions, then move into a Reformed distinctive doctrine about what it is that we believe, and then spend time expounding and explaining that doctrine, answering possible objections, working through it that way. So God works his saving power through by the Holy Spirit through the testimony of the Ministry of Reconciliation, uh, the, article 6 says this is the gospel about the Messiah through which it has pleased God to save believers both in the Old and New Testament. And so then we, we learn about how God did that. He did it sovereignly to whom he will. And we, we have the heading here of article 7, God's freedom in revealing the gospel. Um, that, we, that we read first that in the Old Testament, God revealed his, this secret of his will to a small number. Okay, and so we, we begin with that Old Testament plan of God for revelation. Now, the reason we say small number is not because we mean numerically small, because God said, you know, I'm going to make you Abraham into a, to a great nation, as, as many as the stars in the heavens, sand on the seashore. Those are big promises. Um, so we're not, we're not necessarily focusing on the smallness of the number, but basically on the smallness of the nation to whom God revealed his truth. He revealed his truth to Israel. That's, that's what we're saying here. He revealed his truth to one people on the whole face of the earth. Right? That was, that was God's point. He doesn't show partiality in doing that, but he does 
He does choose a particular people that he makes himself known to. We can think of um, Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24 helps us to see that God reveals himself to whom he will. Uh, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, not let the... Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Um, that the wonder, most wonderful thing you can say is that you know the Lord. If you have something to boast in, um, boast that you know him um, and that he has revealed himself. Um, God alone revealed himself to Israel. And what did he make the point to Israel over and over again? Um, I didn't choose you because you are a great sort of people. Um, In fact, if you look around the world, you're actually one of the least kind of people. Um, I could have chosen much greater and bigger nations to work with. Um, And also, you're kind of a stiff-necked and stubborn people. Um, So not only are you not that big and great, you're also kind of difficult. Um, And so, I didn't choose you because of your greatness. I chose you because of myself. I loved you. Um, That's where my love came from, not because you were great. And so, Article 7 is just saying, sovereignly, God revealed his saving truth first to a small number of people, one particular nation from all the earth, and then expanded that through them to the world. Right. So, in the New Testament, we go on to say, Now, without any distinction between peoples, he discloses it to a large number. Um, And so the gospel has now gone out through that nation to the ends of the earth. So it went first to Israel, and then it went from Jerusalem and Judah to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Um, And now there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. The, The gospel goes out to all people. So God sovereignly began with Israel, went out to a large number of people. Um, And the reason that God has worked the way he's worked must not be ascribed to the greater worth of one nation over another or to a better use of the light of nature, but to the free good pleasure and undeserved love of God. Um, God chose where the gospel goes and when it, he chose where it would go and when it would go there. Um, And when we look at why the gospel went certain places and didn't go others, we, we are not to ascribe that to the fact that they were a better sort of people. Um, that, that God went to them first because they were a better sort of people. God had a plan in, the, in how he was going to reveal his gospel, and why he does what he does is not open to us to understand. Um, we can think of Paul in, in uh, Acts 16, trying to go various ways and being sort of forced to go to Macedonia and eventually to Philippi. That the Spirit was forbidding him to go places that he wanted to go, and that he was rerouted by the Spirit of God to go into Europe. And that's, that was really the first place in Europe the gospel came. Um, and so if we say, why did the gospel go to Europe and why didn't it go into, you know, into the more into the Persian Gulf? Why didn't it push that way? Um, we don't say it's because Europeans were a better sort of people. They were more tuned into the gospel. Um, that's not the way to think. Um, The way to think is it was God's sovereign pleasure to move the word where he moved it when he moved it. Uh, That God works by his good pleasure to send the gospel where he does. And nobody should think that they they made use of it because they were a better sort of people. Um, 
You're a people holy to the Lord. Deuteronomy 7, 6 and 8 says, You're a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. It is not because you were more in number or other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of people, but it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh of Egypt. That's always been the reason that God has worked. In love, he predestined us, right? Um, he made known to, the, to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forward in Christ. Um, and so how should those who receive this kind of grace respond to it? Right, there's a danger if you think you're smarter than the other people around, or you're more savvy when the gospel call came to you, you recognized it for the treasure it was. You weren't like people who discard it as if it's worthless. That you were a better sort of person. There was something in you that recognized the value of it when they couldn't see it. We're not to do that. There's a danger of doing that, and we're not to, we're not to do that. Therefore, those who receive so much grace beyond and despite of all they deserve ought to acknowledge it with humble and thankful hearts. That's an important thing for us to make sure we continue to remember. Uh, that, that when we look out at other people who don't know the Lord, that we never allow a spirit of superiority to creep in. That, that we somehow look at ourselves as better than them. Um, that, that, I think, hampered a lot of mission efforts at various points in the history of the church. Because, because we, we said at times, we have to go bring the gospel to the savages. Rather, you know, civilize them, bring them the civilization that the gospel brings with it, and didn't realize that we were savages too, that we're no different than anybody else when it comes to our need for the gospel. Um, and we can make that kind of mistake in all sorts of ways um, in thinking about the world, especially in a world that's becoming increasingly polarized between the us and the them, however you draw that line. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a neglect of the actual fact that Scripture teaches is you're more like the other person than you are unlike them, no matter what you think about that person, right? And that can be a hard, that can be a hard thing to, to grasp, right? Because if, if, you, if you hate Donald Trump, it's hard for you to think that you're more like him than you are unlike him. Um, and if you hate Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi... It can be a hard thing to think you're more like them than you're unlike them. We're not trying to make a political statement here. Um, but the world is becoming a lot more of us or them in the way we're getting polarized. And the gospel doesn't have any of that. It says, you know, the two people that are in the world, those who know the Lord and those who don't. Um, and the only difference is the free grace of God. And the Holy Spirit of God can make those who don't know the Lord into those who know him. Um, and so... The gospel perspective that makes us look on the world is to see, to have pity for the people that don't know the Lord. And to look at them and to say, there but for the grace of God go I. Because if the Lord had not worked his spirit in my heart, I wouldn't see Jesus at all either. Right? I'd, I'd be out happily living my life without him, not realizing that I'm being gathered like sheaves to be threshed. Right, So it helps us to look around and to say, there but for the grace of God go I, and to not feel a sense of superiority, like the Pharisee praying, thank God I'm not like this 
filthy tax collector. Um, but rather to say, I would be just like the Pharisee, but for the grace of God. I'm, I'm him without God. I'm him without God's kindness. Um, and the only, the only difference between me and the Pharisee at prayer is the grace of the Holy Spirit and the love of God. Um, that, that makes all the difference. And so when we live and understand that principle, then how will we live? We will live thankful lives because we'll realize what, what kind of debtors to grace that we are. Um, and we'll, we'll live humble lives. We're not better than other people. We're saved. We've been blessed in that way. Um, and we would dearly love for them to be saved as well and to come into a knowledge of the truth. Um, that they might see the Lord and live. So we need to remember that, and it should be a cause of humility to be reminded that we, we were given grace in spite of who we are, right? Um, we were not good people. Therefore, those who receive much grace beyond and in spite of all they deserve. You know, sometimes people like to work with the definition of grace, that grace is unmerited favor. And that's half of the definition, but it's unmerited favor to those who deserve the wrath of God. God puts his favor on those who deserve his wrath. Right? That, that's why there's no such thing as grace before the fall. Grace, in a sense, only functions the way we understand it after the fall. Because there is where someone who doesn't deserve it gets it. Someone who actually deserves the wrath of God instead receives his favor. That, that's, that's who we are. If that will not prompt us to live humble lives, then, then we've lost sight of who we are. Um, it will help us to live humble and obedient lives if we acknowledge that. Um, and other, on the other hand, um, we're also told that with the apostle, they ought to adore, but certainly not inquisitively search into the severity and justice of God's judgment on the others who do not receive this grace. We who have received it should be thankful for it, should be humbled by it. Um, and when God doesn't choose to shower this grace on other people, um, what, should we, um, what should we respond to it that way? We should adore his justice. That God glorifies himself when he's being just. It, it's, it's the really hard part of, of Christianity where we don't... We don't Rejoice in the misfortunes of the wicked, right? That's really hard for us not to do in a, in, a, in a sinful way, to rejoice in the misfortune of the wicked. That's not what we're called to do. We're not rejoicing that bad things happen to them. We're recognizing that when bad things happen to the wicked from the hand of God, that's justice. That's, that's true and right. Um, just the same way when a criminal is prosecuted for their crime and punished for the crime they committed and sent, that's, that's justice. Now, you might lament the misfortune of that for that person, but you still recognize that that's justice, right? That that's justice that's being done. Um, and we can't let, we can't lose sight of that. Um, I'm always reminded, my dad likes to tell a story of one time at devotions, he, he liked to read through the Psalms at dinner. That was one of his, one, after dinner we'd read a Psalm. He would kind of go through and after dinner, one time he reads one of these psalms of imprecation where, you know, they're asking God to break the jaw of the wicked and break their arm for doing wrong. And 
my mom said, I remember you three kids are sitting at the table, and I'm sort of going, all right, what are we going to say to these little kids about God breaking teeth and jaws? And, you know, and um, I, my, my mom tells a story that my little brother said after we read that, Mom, how, do they, how, how does God do that to them? He was a very tender-hearted soul. How would God do that to them? And my sister's response was, they're God's enemies, aren't they? They get what they deserve. Um, and my dad said, well, that's law and gospel, right? That's um, a, heart for the way, a heart for the sinner and a zeal for justice. Um, and so, right, and so we, we, have to, we have to have a healthy sense of when God punishes the wicked, he's not doing an injustice. When God leaves sinners in their sin, he's not doing an injustice. It's hard because of what that means for them. Right, the same way when we have friends and loved ones who don't know the Lord, who won't hear the gospel, who won't turn from their sin, and we know what that means for them, we lament over that. Um, but the hard thing is to realize that God is not doing an injustice when he does justice. What it shows us is that we really don't understand the magnitude of sin or the crime that's been committed against his supreme majesty. And so we're reminded here, we're not to inquire into it beyond what we can know. Um, there are people who want to sometimes inquire in, why does God choose some and not others? And God says, that is unknowable to you. I know my ways, God says to us, but you cannot know them. And it's not for you to inquire into them, lest you end up like Job, regretting that you asked the question. Because that's what, that's what Job is kind of getting into at times in the book of Job. Why is this happening? I kind of want an explanation. And God comes eventually and says, you want answers? No, I mean, it's sort of like, if you want an explanation, you've got to be like me. I have to be able to talk to you as an equal. And are we equals? And then he starts running down the list of things. You know, can you do the things that I can do? You know, do you hang the stars in the sky and call them by name? Do you do the things that I can do? If, if you're like me, we can talk. And what does Job realize? I never should have said anything. Um, I never should have said anything because we're not alike. Um, we can't have a conversation like this. Um, that's a hard thing for us to realize because we think we should be able to do that. Um, and that's something we struggle with at times when, when we're, we're facing... A difficult, a frowning providence, as one of the hymns put it today, right? Where, where, where it, it seems like bad things are happening and that a good God wouldn't allow this. Um, how, how, do we make, how do we make sense of that? And sometimes we do say, if God would just explain to me why he's doing this, then I would understand. Don't we all feel like that at times? Just me? Um, that we feel like at times if someone asks some of those you know, pointed questions that you would wish you had kind of a better answer. Um, but at the same time, we're not God, and God knows what he's doing. That was sort of the point of our passage today. God knows what he's doing, even when we don't know what he's doing. Um, and we have to trust that he has a plan uh, to do it. But that's, that can be difficult for us, but the, the point of the matter is we're not to inquire into things that are beyond our pay grade, beyond our ability to understand. Um, those, those things that are beyond us, we have to... Uh, just acknowledge God is just, his, he is our rock, his ways are perfect. 
Um, and if we don't understand his ways or we have some problem with his ways, then the problem is with us, not with God. Um, you know, we all, we all have people we know who we really like where you would say, you know, if you don't like that guy, you're the one that's got the problem. He, you know, he, he's a great guy. If you don't like him, you, you're the one that has the problem. Um, the, the same way we come to God and his decisions. If we don't like how God has done things, that's our problem. It's not God's problem. Um, and we're called to get in line with what, what he says. Um, and so we should be humble and grateful for what we've received, and we should steer clear of inquiring into those things that we can't understand uh, the severity of. It's the, it's the whole thrust of what Paul says in Romans 9. I'm amazed how often I have a Romans 9 conversation with someone where they'll say, you know, but why does he find fault? Because he's the one who doesn't shower grace. So why does he? And you can walk through the exact argument Paul makes in Romans 9. And Paul walks through it for a while with someone, but he finally gets to the point of saying, who are you to answer back to God? Did you make this world? God made the world. Is he allowed to do with this world what he made it for? If he chooses to glorify himself in grace on the one hand and glorify himself in justice on the other hand, are you the one that can come and say, you're doing it wrong? Right? Anyone who has any kind of skill doesn't like it when an unskilled person walks up and goes, I don't think you're doing that the right way. Right? We all can't stand that, right? No matter what your skill level is, right? If you're, if, you're, if you're a woodworker and then I walk up and go, that doesn't look right to me. Like, well, get out of here. You don't know what you're talking about. Um, and I, I have any number of things I can not help you with. Um, but, but, you know, the, the point is, you don't, me standing around looking at an engine is not going to help things. Um, there are all kinds of things where people don't have expertise and they weigh in. After I, after I became a lawyer, I can't watch courtroom drama shows anymore because it's all wrong. And either I sit there like a moron objecting to things that are happening on TV because Godfrey's have this weird trait of talking back to the television, um, which apparently goes back generations to yelling at Franklin Roosevelt on the radio. Um, so this is the, the biographical portion of the, the, where I'm just getting out of my, my problems with you. Um, but there's all a number of things, right? None of us like that. When someone with no expertise comes up to somewhere that has expertise and goes, I don't think you know what you're doing. And that's what we're doing with God when we come to his, his divine proclamations of justice and grace. We have the temerity to come up and look at it and go, I don't think that looks right to me. Um, and Paul's saying, don't do that. Remember who's the creator and who's the creature. Who's the one with wisdom and knowledge? And who's the one that doesn't have it and can't even rightly use what you have? Um, respect what the Lord what the Lord does and why he does it. He regenerates sovereignly whom he will by the gospel, and he does that through a sincere call to believe. Through a sincere call to believe. That's what we read in Article 8. It's a, it's a serious and sincere call that God makes to the world. Um, so Article 8 says, Nevertheless, all who are called through the gospel are called seriously. For seriously and most genuinely, God makes known in his word what is pleasing to him, that those who are called should come to him. Seriously, he also promises rest for their souls and eternal life to all who come to him and believe. 
Everyone who's called is seriously called. Nobody who hears the gospel call can say, that's not for me. Every, everyone who's called is seriously called. The scriptural foundation for that is just what Jesus says in Matthew 11. Verses 28 through 30, the verses we, we love so well. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Um, no one who's called is not seriously called. No one who's called is not sincerely called. Well, why would that question even be asked? Um, because there's always some hyper-Calvinist out there saying, only, only the elect can really come. So the call is seriously made to the elect, but it's not seriously made to other people. It, it has to be made to all people so it can reach the elect, but it's not seriously made to other people. That's kind of the, the objection that some people can, can raise. Um, but the promise of the gospel is salvation. And what is the picture that's given to us in Scripture of that salvation? It's a feast to, to which everyone who hears is invited. Right, that everyone who hears is invited. What does Isaiah 55 verse 1 say? Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. You thirsty? Come. Do I have any money for it? Doesn't matter. Come. It'll be given to you without price. There's not someone who can say, I'm situated such that I can't come. Um, it's sincerely made to everybody who's called. Um, to everybody who's called, that's a sincere call to come and to rest in those great and glorious promises that the gospel makes. If you come, you'll find rest for your soul. If you come, you'll find eternal life. What is God offering in the gospel? He's offering himself. That's what you'll come and find. Right? Come to me, Jesus says. Come to him, and that's what he'll give you, himself. That's a serious call. It's a glorious call. It's a call to come to the Lord. John Murray put it this way, for Christ is the embodiment of all. Those who are his are complete in him, and he has made unto them wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. When Christ invites us to himself, it is to the possession of himself, and therefore of all that defines his identity as Savior. The promise is sincere. The promise is serious. The promise is made to all. And it's made to all on the same condition. Believe. Um, that's how everyone comes, by believing. Right? Sometimes you have, to, you have to make that clear for people. You can have someone say, I want to come to Jesus, but I don't really know what that means. Um, what, does it mean? what does it mean to come to Jesus? It means to put your faith and trust in Jesus. To trust yourself to him. Uh, faith is the crucial thing if you want to come to the Lord. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Right? Those who seek him find rest, eternal life, 
in Christ. Um, they come by faith. That's what um, the gospel says. The promises are to all who believe. And that's where we make the distinction. And that's where people get the gospel wrong. Um, they either get the promises wrong or they get the condition wrong. Right? They either say not all are called and they deny the well-meant offer of the gospel or they'll say those who don't believe will still be saved. Right? You can be kind of a universalist and say all paths lead to Jesus in the end. Um, and that's not what the Bible says either. The Bible says the promises are sure and the weight of the promise is sure. Putting your faith and trust in Christ. Um, all are called, but only those who believe will be saved. Right? You see how you can make it really complicated, but it's, you, you shouldn't. It's really easy. Um, and don't let your other theology talk you out of that reality. Right? Sometimes people let the other theological things they know confuse the simplicity of what God teaches us in his word. Your other theology has to serve this truth, not defeat it. Because this truth is clear. Everyone who hears the call is called. God is calling you, if you hear the gospel call, to repentance and faith in Christ. The gospel call is for you, but the promises will only be received by those who put their faith and trust in Christ. Um, that's how you come to the feast. That's how you eat and live. Um, by faith, which is the hand and mouth of the soul. Um, that's why we, like we say in the Lord's Supper, that's how you eat and drink Christ. Faith is the hand and mouth of the soul. Um, that's how we come to the Lord and live. Um, so God offers himself in the gospel. And Article 9 is sort of asking the question, well, if God is offering in the gospel call himself, then who turns that down? Who hears the gospel call for rest for your soul, for eternal life, for Christ himself, right? Who hears that call and turns away? Why do some people who are called not come? Um, well, the canons of Dort encourage us at this point in Article 9 to turn to uh, Matthew 13. So I'm encouraging you to turn to Matthew 13. I don't hear pages turning, people. <laughs> okay. Um, right? Um, Matthew 13. What is Matthew 13 about? Who knows without even looking? Parable of the sower. Why do some people come and other people don't? This is one of those really helpful passages on Proverbs because it gives us, or on parables, because it gives us the parable and then the disciples for us ask, I don't know what this means. What does it mean? And Jesus says, okay, let me tell you. So this is Matthew 13, um, verses 1 through 23. God's word. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. 
Other seeds fell on good soil, and it produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah has been fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are you, your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfaithful, or unfruitful. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Um, this is meant to be in the background as we come to Article 9. Um, and we hear it pretty clearly reflected in Article 9. The fact that many who are called through the ministry of the gospel do not come and are not brought to conversion must not be blamed on the gospel, nor on Christ who is offered through the gospel, nor on God who calls them through the gospel and even bestows various gifts on them, but on the people themselves who are called. Some in self-assurance do not even entertain the word of life. Others do entertain it, but do not take it to heart. And for that reason, after the fleeting joy of a temporary faith, they relapse. Others choke the seed of the word with the thorns of life's cares and with the pleasures of the world and bring forth no fruits. This our Savior teaches in the parable of the sower. Um, what does the parable of the sower teach us? The sower does the sowing. And the seed is good. What is not good? Sometimes what is not good is the soil in which the seed comes or the circumstances in which the seed germinates. But the problem is not with the sower or the seed. Right? Um, if I try planting things and they don't grow, I know who the problem is. I never have said, oh, I don't, it must be a bum seed. Like, no, it's a lack of a green thumb. Um, I had a plant that my grandma gave me when I got to law school, and she was like, because you'll have nothing green in your house, so at least you'll have this. And she thought, you'll probably kill it in a week. And I thought, I'm going to take care of this plant. I'm going to show my grandma. I killed it in a week. Oh, I overwatered it. <laughs> I killed it by watering it. Um, so the problem was not with the plant she gave me. The problem was with other things. 
And that's what the parable of the sower is teaching. The seed is good, and the sower gives it everywhere. Why doesn't it bring forth fruit? It's not the problem of the seed. It's not the problem of the sower. It's the problem of the soil in which it's sown, or the circumstances that exist around the plant. The sun, the weeds, the, the difficulties of life, those other things that, that are going on. It's not the problem of the seed and it's not the problem of the sower. It's not the problem of the gospel or those who bring it that people don't receive it. The problem is in themselves. Um, we're the reason it doesn't get up and bear fruit if the gospel call comes to us. Um, that's a difficult truth. Um, it's a difficult truth. And sometimes the, the two things can look the same side by side for a time. Right? There's a time when the thing growing up in the, in the shallow soil looks just like the thing growing in the good soil. You wouldn't be able to tell the difference between the two. The difference is, is that the one, will, one actually grows up and bears fruit and the other one withers away before it can do that. Um, but but the, the simple point is the problem is not in the seed, the problem is not in the sower. Um, the problem is in the soil. And I, and I think that's a good explanation of how people sometimes come to the gospel. They're self-assured, and so they don't even entertain it. I don't need that. I believe in science. Right? I believe in science. I don't need that. Um, or I've got my own way. I don't need the gospel. Um, I just realized I accidentally quoted Nacho Libre. Um, so I can see people smiling. So I'm sorry I did that. It wasn't intentional. Um, you know, I believe in science, right? Okay, so that's, that's my religion. But we can do that. I, I don't need God because I'm assured in myself. Um, others take it and, and find a kind of temporary faith in it, but after a while it fails to satisfy, and then they move on. Right? Then they have to find something else that satisfies uh, for a time. They relapse. Um, others choke the seed of the word with the thorns of life's care and the pleasures of the world. Paul talks about people who had, had, who had deserted him because they fell in love with the world. Um, because it's a hard calling in this life. Um, you know, the, the, the calling that Christ gives us is hard. Um, and it's become popular in our world to make it an easier sell. And to say that if you come to the Lord, everything will be okay. You'll have a good life. Um, God promises you a good future if you come to the Lord and a present that is sustained by his grace, but he never promises an easy life. Um, in fact, he calls us to look to the Lord and say, you know, they hated the master, they're going to hate his servants. They hated him, you don't think he's, they're going to hate you too? Um, it, it's a hard service that we're called to, and there are people who just, they don't want to pay the price. It costs to be a Christian in this life, and they don't want to pay what it costs. Um, and they don't really understand at the end of the day that whatever costs we have to pay in this life, it pays to be a Christian. Right? I always, always think about J.C. Ryle saying, you know, we, we, we think a lot about the weight of our cross, but if we thought about the crown that awaits us, and when we receive that crown in glory, we're going to be surprised that we thought so much about the cross we were carrying and thought so little about the crown that was coming. The crown of the glory that awaits all, all those who love him and long for his appearing. Um, the two can't be compared. The promise is the glory is beyond our ability to comprehend and so we, we can't really compare it. But Paul says if, if you could really see what waits for you, 
you would realize that it's, it's an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison that makes everything you're going through in life, no matter how big it is, a slight and momentary affliction by comparison. He never, the Bible never says your pain now isn't real or your suffering now isn't real. Never, never tries to say, oh, it's not really that bad. It's bad. It was bad for our Lord. It's, it's not light. It's only light when compared with the eternal weight of glory that awaits. Just like it's hard to compare this life with its frailty and that life that waits all of us when what is mortal is swallowed up by life and we put on what's indestructible and incorruptible and glorious. Like We, we don't understand what it's like when that seed grows into that. When, when you plant in the ground the seed of this and Christ's likeness grows out of that. Right? Just, just the same way people didn't really get what went into the ground when they buried our Lord and what came out of the ground when he came out. A new humanity, a resurrected life, right? That's what waits for the people of God. Um, we have to understand that in the midst of this life, and that's what can help us to stay the course in the midst of when life says, there's an easier way. There's a nice wide path, and it has a nice little gentle downward run. It's an easy road to walk. Well, it's a nice little slight decline. You won't even hurt your knees going down it. But it goes down, and it ends in destruction. And there's a narrow gate and a narrow path, and it leads to life. But the way is hard. Right? Um, and, and, you know, there are people who said, you can't sell Christianity like that. You can't preach that gospel, because who wants to come to that kind of truth? Right? And the comfort that comes in being a gospel minister is I don't have to sell it. The Holy Spirit will make it true. People will hear that as the truth who belong to the Lord. Our job is not to sugarcoat the truth. It's just to preach it. It's its own power. It doesn't need any help. Um, it, it will do the work. And if someone rejects it, it's because of what's in them. It's not something that's a failing in the word or in the Lord that's offered. Um, Anyone who rejects it, rejects the work of the Spirit on their own. Um, okay. That's probably enough for, uh, for the afternoon. We'll move on to Article 10 next time. Um, any, any questions about any of that? All right, let's uh, close our time with prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for the sincere call of the gospel that you were willing to come and to sincerely say to sinners like us that if we would take and drink, we would live, that we could come to Christ and find rest for our souls and eternal life, and that you were willing to give yourself to us in him. What a wonderful promise. How thankful we are that you gave us the gift of faith that we might take hold of those things and, and grasp them that you worked in our hearts, that we could see Jesus and have life in his name. Lord, we pray that you would create in us a humble spirit, a thankful spirit, that we have received this gift from your hand, that we would never be cause for arrogance on our part or a sense of superiority, that we would recognize that we are debtors to your grace. 
Our hearts break, Lord, for those who hear your gospel call and refuse to come. We pray that you would yet be merciful and work in their hearts by your spirit that they would come and live and find life in your name. Forgive us, Lord, when we've questioned the rightness of your judgments and the goodness of your justice. Help us, Lord, to be the kind of people that submit to you as our all-gracious and all-righteous king, the one who does all things well. Help us to submit our wills to your will more and more and accept everything from your hand um, as gracious and right. And Lord, help us to be given the words to say to people, to be encouraged to talk to people about the Lord and to be able to bring that simple message that you promise rest of soul and life to all who will put faith in Christ. We thank you for making it simple enough for us and we thank you for making the word live in us by your spirit. We pray that you would send your spirit abroad so that many more would hear and live. Help us in this, we pray, for we ask in Jesus' name, amen.